today begins Holy Week. It's called Palm Sunday, and it's a it's a beginning of um, the most important week in history. Years ago, uh, long ago, far far away, in a little church someplace out in the hinterlands, a pastor one Sunday morning brought a plastic egg. Mostly receive a plastic egg. Would you hold up your plastic egg? The, the pastor said to the congregation, he said, who knows what, what is contained in the plastic egg? And there was a, a silence in the church, and finally a little boy in the very front row popped up and said, pantyhose! <laughs> if you'll open your little plastic egg this morning, you'll find inside the leaf of a palm. And I give you this morning give this to you this morning as a just as a tactile reminder of what day it is. It's Palm Sunday. It's a, it's the first day of the most important week in history. And Palm Sunday is is given to us in all four gospels. That's how, that's how important it is to God. It's contained in all four gospels, but this morning I want to look at Matthew chapter 21, and let's, uh, let's read this together. Matthew, chap- Matthew chapter 21, um, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and, to ca- and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. I can reach in here, to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had, had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, And we'll talk about the symbolism of this in just a few minutes. Spread their cloaks on the robe, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And we'll talk about the symbolism of this. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Notice that they're still not calling him the Messiah, are they? 
the setting in which this all happened, what we now know as Palm Sunday, was an important event in Jerusalem because um, it was tied to uh, an important feast called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was celebrating the Passover. And you'll remember the Passover story in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 29. Um, the Israelites had been in captivity for a very long time, and uh, Moses, the savior of the Jews at the time, had gone to Pharaoh and, and asked for their release from captivity. And in so doing, of course, Pharaoh at first refused until the Lord brought a series of plagues upon the, upon the Egyptians. He brought a series of nine plagues, and the Pharaoh remained steadfast in his refusal to allow the, uh, is the Jews to leave Egypt. And so he brought a tenth plague. The tenth plague was a was a most awful plague because because on the in the ten, on the tenth plague, God vowed to kill the firstborn son of every Egyptian, not only every Egyptian family, but even the even the animals of the Egyptians. But he said to the Jews, he said, "Do this." He said, "On the night before." before the tenth plague, you're to slaughter a lamb, not any lamb, but a perfect lamb. And this perfect lamb is to be a sacrifice to me. And when you slaughter this lamb, you're to take hyssop, which is a plant of the mint family, and dip it in the blood of the lamb and paint your doorways, tops and sides, with the blood of the perfect lamb. And then when the angel of death passes through, passes through the city, every firstborn son will die, except for yours. Your children will be saved. You'll be, there will, you will be passed over because of the blood of the Lamb. And that's what it was going on on Palm Sunday. The people of Israel had been instructed by God at the time of the Passover to remember this occasion for all time. Through all generations, they were to remember this occasion, and they were to remember it by the celebration of unleavened bread, one of three uh, very important celebrations that God gave to the, to the Israelites to observe for all generations. And this celebration was carried on for seven consecutive days, and in each of these seven consecutive days, there was a, a, a ritual that they were to follow, including the eating of unleavened bread. The unleavened bread, we believe, uh, represented the, the speed, the rapidity with which the Israelites left Egypt. They had no time to rise the bread that they took with them. They took unleavened bread. So this is what was going on. We had, we had people celebrating... Um, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover in Jerusalem at the time, and God had called all of the Israelites, all of the Israelites, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It's estimated that, that at the time, Israel con, or Jerusalem contained maybe 
something around 100,000 100, people in its population. But for Passover, once a year, when all of the Israelites came to town, it's estimated that there, there could have very well been as many as 3 million people in, the city of, in and around the city of Jerusalem at the time celebrating this great feast. It was a big deal. It was a big occasion. Everybody was there. Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody was paying attention. It was a big, big deal. It's such an important part of, of um, the Holy Week, as I said earlier, that we have four accounts in, in all four Gospels. And because of that, uh, and because of the, uh, the importance of, of the event, I'd like for us to look this morning quickly at all four of those accounts. We looked at Matthew 21, 1. Let's look at Mark 11, 1. Let me, let me read these quickly for you because there's some, there some important points in each one of these. In Mark 11, 1 through 11, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, Bethpage, by the way, was a, it was a, small, a very, very small village, um, not more than, than just a, a few buildings, perhaps, on the Mount of Olives between Bethany and Jerusalem. It was just a very small place, estimated to be maybe a mile or mile and a half outside of, outside of Jerusalem, outside the East Gate. Uh, archaeologists have not found evidence of the exact location, but, but we think we know where it is. In fact, there's a, a church there now. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Would you, if you have your Bibles open to, to Mark 1, uh, 11, would you underline that, please? Which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. If you have your Bibles open, please underline that. And the people let them go. I have a question for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, have you offered everything that you have to him? Have you offered your whole life? Have you offered everything that he's given to you back to him? And let me ask you this question. If you have, when he asks for it back, do you unquestioningly let it go? Are you as eager as these folks to give to him what he asks of you? When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, by the way, in, in Old Testament times, Hosanna meant, God, please save us. God, please save us. To us, to those who know Christ, to those who know we have 
inherited salvation. Hosanna means exactly what we were singing about this morning. God, thank you for saving us. Hosanna, thank you for saving us. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The third account is in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. This says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. This is an important in this account, which no one has ever ridden. Would you underline that in Luke chapter 19? It says, untie it and bring it here. A colt which no one has ever ridden. The significance of this is, is that in biblical times, kings um, and, and people of, of, and royalty, people of, of great esteem, were oftentimes found riding, riding animals that had been set aside strictly for the purpose of honoring them, unridden animals. There's another very important point here. This demonstrates Christ's power, the power to mount an unridden animal without protest, even, even dominion over the animals Christ demonstrates. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. This is an important point in this, in, in this reading of, of, of the account because in putting Jesus on the colt, rather than Jesus climbing up on the colt himself, in putting him on the colt, they were esteeming him as royalty. Royalty didn't even, didn't even lift a foot to, to stride an animal. They were, they were set upon the animal. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is talking about the, the coming Roman occupation. In John 12, this account uh, has a couple of important points too. It says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
And in a minute, we're going to see that there are basically two groups of people who come to be a part of the percent of the great procession. There are those who came with him from Bethany, and there are those who came out from the city. And here it's talking about those who, who had come to the city for the feast and heard that Jesus was on his way. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Um, Jesus <laughs> found a young donkey and sat, sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first his, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and, they, and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him, this is talking about the other group, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet them. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So the setting is this. We have a, we have a city of Jerusalem that's filled with people. There are two groups of Two groups of people, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people, in two groups. We have, we have a, a group of people who have heard of Jesus and who have come to, who have come to the city to celebrate uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, in observance of Passover. And we have a large crowd of people who have followed Jesus uh, to, to Jerusalem from Bethany, actually from from. Uh, out in the countryside where he's been performing uh, miracles and teaching for some time now. The people in the, in the city are aware of his coming because, it's, because they heard about the great miracle that he had just performed in Bethany in raising Lazarus from the dead. So there's great excitement in the city, great excitement about the fact that, that Jesus is coming. And in fact... There's great excitement because many of those people believe that, that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been looking for, but they're mistaken, and we'll see why in just a minute. In this t during this time, um, of course, the, the, they were all there to, to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so was Jesus. That's why he was traveling to Jerusalem, that was the, the, the first reason why he was traveling to Jerusalem was to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which he did. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, it is a seven-day um, ceremony that, that involves eating a feast, eating a, a prescribed meal for seven consecutive days. Jesus observed it once before before he was sacrificed. And that, that one celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we know is the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate the Last Supper this morning. We're going to celebrate communion. And so if those who will be serving communion this morning will prepare... Thank you. For those of you who may not be familiar with, with how we do this, 
we use these little communion cups. These are very handy. Not exactly traditional, but a little, but, a, but very handy. You'll find that there are two sections, <clears throat> excuse me, two sections to the cup. There's an upper section with a very, very thin um, coating of plastic that covers a wafer, bread. So if you will, and sometimes it's not easy like the one that I have right here. If you will, remove that, that top piece of plastic and remove the wafer. Let me try another one. I'm not very proficient at this. By the way, <laughs> I'll share with you, I, used, I began using these a long time ago, probably 20 years ago, in small groups. And I bought a, I bought a box of these at a, at a um, um, conference that I went to when I first discovered them. I thought, these are neat. These would be great for a small group. So I bought a box of them that contained something like a thousand of these things. And it never occurred to me that if you don't use them right away, this grape juice turns to wine. <laughs> I had some small group leaders who were a little, uh, Pastor, why are we serving wine? <laughs> so take, uh, take the wafer, if you will. And in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, um, Paul speaks to us about the Lord's Supper. And this is what he says. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and, and please wait, uh, wait to eat together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this cup and drink this cup, Eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord's Supper is a, is, a, is, a, is a ceremony that we observe with great purpose. We, we celebrate this, this ceremony to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a ceremony that's meant for believers. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is telling us here that this is a serious ceremony. It's meant, it's meant for believers. It's a ceremony that that's meant as a cleansing as well as a remembrance. We need, to, we need to cleanse our hearts. We need to make confession to God for those things that we need forgiveness for. And we need to celebrate this, this communion with a, with a clean heart. So let's take a moment, a moment and reflect 
on our lives, reflect on, on uh, what we need to confess to God, and let's approach this with a clean heart to take a moment to reflect. Lord Jesus, as we eat this bread and take this cup, Lord, we, uh, we can confess to you that we are, uh, have, have, have been living unclean lives in ways that uh, we're not proud of. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. We ask you to, to uh, lead us in the way everlasting. We thank you, Jesus for what you did for us on the cross. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, that you allowed your body to be broken for me. This is the this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink. Lord Jesus, with this bread and us with, with this cup, we proclaim your death until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This was the meal at the Last Supper that was eaten a few days after the, after the triumphal entry. That was the setting. Now let's look at the event. Let's look at the triumphal entry itself. We've We've looked at it in, in all four Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John, John 12. There's a lot of symbolism in this. We've, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, one of the most important symbolisms in the, in the triumphal entry is that of, of um, the place of the victor. This procession uh, into the city of Jerusalem was meant to portray that, the procession of a victor. And remember I said that there were two groups of people. There were those who had been following Jesus from Bethany uh, and, those who had, and, and those who were already in the city who were there to celebrate uh, Passover who came out to, to meet him. Some spread their cloaks on the road as he proceeded. Some, some laid fronds before, palm fronds before him. Let me say this to you. In a close reading of, the, of, of these uh, accounts, I think there were actually two, um, two means of celebration with the plants. One talks about uh, people um, cutting the plants of the field. The other talks about people bringing palm fronds from the city. I think there's a, a I think there's an important point here. Think about think about the people who were following him, who knew who who were Jesus followers, 
people who knew his ministry, who had seen it in person, hadn't just heard about it, they had seen it in person. As they were following him in the procession, they were cutting plants from the fields. Where were they? Where were they? They were on the Mount of Olives. What was in the fields on the Mount of Olives? Olives. So I believe that in a close, in, you know, in a close reading of this, that those who had, were following him, who were traveling with him, were cutting olive branches and placing olive branches in his path. And what are olives, olive branches a symbol of? Peace, a symbol of peace. Jesus was coming as the peacemaker. He was coming as a servant, not as a, not as a conquering king. Olive, or excuse me, palm fronds, on the other hand, were very symbolic in biblical times. Palm fronds were waved over the head of conquering kings as they entered the entered the lands that they had conquered. It was a symbol of, of respect, but it was also a symbol of surrender. This was, a, this was a, a, a gesture that was made to conquering kings. Powerful, powerful, victorious kings. People who were coming in their name, not in the name of another people who had victory and vengeance and, and oppression in mind, not servanthood and peace and love. So one of the great symbolisms here is the difference is how Jesus entered Jerusalem. He entered as a servant not as a conqueror. You see, Jesus could have come into Jerusalem on a powerful war horse. He could have come clothed in magnificent robes. He could have had heralds with trumpets before him announcing his arrival. He could have had multitudes of, 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 of soldiers in his procession. He could have had he could have had robes of purple laid out in the streets ahead of him. He could have had anything he wanted. He could have been the most could have had the most extravagant procession that one could could possibly imagine. But he chose not to do that. He chose to enter not on a war horse, but on a donkey. Not on just a donkey. But a, but a, but a, but the foal of a donkey. A foal that had never been ridden. He chose to enter, not with great adulation from, from the 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 from the hierarchy in Jerusalem. He chose to enter with the love of the people. You see, he chose to enter as a servant, not as a conqueror. 
What was he? He and he cho he chose this. He chose this um, occasion for great purpose. He was he was finally finally after all this this three years in in ministry when he had repeatedly told his people, "Don't tell anybody who I am. Don't say who I am. Don't give away my identity. Don't tell anybody." Finally. After three years of ministry, he's making a statement, isn't he? He's making a very, very sincere statement. He's ushering in a new kingdom. He is a conquering king, but he's entering in a, a completely different kingdom than, than what the people were expecting. He wasn't bringing forth the, the, the kingdom of Israel as so many wished. He was bringing forth the kingdom of God. He wasn't ushering in the, a kingdom on earth with all of its revelry and all of its adornments. He was ushering in the kingdom of heaven. It's peace, it's love, and it's salvation. A new kingdom. A kingdom not of earth, but a kingdom of heaven. He was, the symbolism here being, being um, Passover, the symbolism of the, of, of the sacrificial lamb is very evident. But the beauty is that the ultimate sacrificial lamb is, in, is entering in the kingdom of heaven. The ultimate sacrifice is about to take place, not just an unblemished lamb, not an, not an animal from the field, but the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is sacrificing the perfect, perfect lamb. That's the event. The event is Passover. The event is unleavened bread. The event is a triumphal procession in which the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords finally makes his grand statement, I am the King. I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been looking for. Now let's look at the people. Let's look at the people who attended this event. The, the first group of people we, I talked to, mentioned a minute ago were Jesus' followers. Look at John verses 12, um, uh, chapter 12, verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. The crowd that was with him, those who had been following him, his real, true followers, his disciples were, were, were there. And what were they doing? They were spreading the word. They weren't just celebrating. They weren't, they weren't there for ritualistic purposes. They weren't there for ceremonies. They were there to spread the word of the Messiah who was coming, who was coming to save. The second group of people who were present were re religious zealots. Religious zealots. So the, um, uh, John 12, 19 so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. 
look how the whole world has gone after him. What do we, what do we have here? Well, we have a bunch of religious leaders who ought to know, who ought to recognize, who know Scripture, who, 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 know, who know more about the, the prophecy of the, of the coming Messiah than, than anyone, who ought to know, who ought to recognize the Jesus, the Messiah, who's entering into, their, in, in, into Jerusalem, but yet they don't. And why not? Why don't they recognize the Messiah when he, when he shows himself? When he declares himself? Even then, they don't see it and deny it. Because they're so wrapped up in religion. They're so wrapped up in tradition. They're so wrapped up in ceremony, in rules and regulations and rituals. They're so wrapped up in doing church that they don't even recognize the Messiah when he's before them. Oh, the church. Oh, the church. It, 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 it is such a pity that the church, that the, that the leaders, that the people who ought to have known better, who, who, who claim to be God's people, could not even see the Messiah before them. How easy is it for us to, to fall into the trap of doing church, of going through the routine, of going through the rituals, of attending on Sunday morning and feeling like we have, we've paid our dues, we've got our clock punched. Oh, how easy it is to miss the real truth because we're too busy being religious. How easy it is to fall into the trap of, of worshiping the wrong things, to worshiping the temple, to worshiping the saints, to worshiping a pope or, or some other human leader, worshiping some alien and calling it a, a religion, a faith. Oh, how easy it is to miss the Messiah because we're too busy too focused on being religious. It's not about being religious. It's not about rules and regulations and rituals. It's not about ceremonies and temples and, 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 and clothing. It's not about any of those things. It's not about crowns or scepters or, or water or any of that. It's about a relationship with the real living Messiah. The third group of people who were present on that day were those who, who I, I would call the willfully ignorant. The willfully ignorant. And there were two, two subsets within that group. The first are, are those who just had the wrong idea. They just had the wrong idea. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, please save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, by the way, is called the Hallel in the, in the um, Feast of Unleavened Bread and Observance of Passover 
every night as they're eating the Passover meal, um, the Jews will, will repeat three times the Hallel. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The, these people had the wrong idea. There was one group of people, those who came out from the city for the most part, that big group that came out who had anticipated, they'd heard about this guy that's on the, on the way to Jerusalem that raised a, somebody from the dead. They, they come out to celebrate and, 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 and to proclaim Hosanna, but they've got the wrong idea. Their idea is that finally the Messiah who's going, who, who's going to conquer the Romans and free us from Roman oppression, the, the new king of Israel, the great victor for Israel over the Romans has arrived. They were there to celebrate Jesus, to, 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 to proclaim their hosannas, but for the wrong reason. They had the whole wrong idea about who Jesus was. Because they, they were so wrapped up again in ritual and ceremony and rules and regulations and, and stories and, and, and all of that that they, that, they, that they missed who the real Jesus was. They had the wrong idea. They were willfully ignorant. They either, they either chose to, 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 to believe the wrong things and all how easy it is for us to do that today to pick what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe to mix and match to choose a, the religion that feels that gives us a quiver in the liver that makes us feel the best oh how easy it is to have the wrong idea the second group of the willfully ignorant were the don't want to know. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. These people should have known better. These people were the learned religious leaders of the time. They should have known better. They just didn't want to know. They didn't want to know. They didn't want Jesus to come in and mess up their deal. They had it, they had it going on. They were the important people. They were the respected people. They were the, they, they were the, the hot topic. They were the, the celebrities of their time. They didn't want Jesus coming in and messing up their deal. They didn't want to know. They were willfully ignorant of who this Messiah really was. And the fourth group of people who were evident in this, in, in this scene were the circumstantially ignorant is what, how, what, what I would classify them, circumstantially ignorant. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this guy? Who, who are these people? Well, whenever you attract, you have a crowd as big as this in the city of Jerusalem, you're, you're going to attract all kinds of people, not only the not only the, 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 the people who were there for genuinely to observe the Passover, to celebrate the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but you've got all kinds of other people, Gentiles of all sorts, people who've come to peddle and to, and to steal and to pickpocket, and you've got all kinds of people, people who have never heard of Jesus. They know nothing about Jesus. They've come from far and wide, they know nothing about Jesus' ministry. They've never even heard his name. 
These are the cir circumstantially ignorant. And these are the people that we, the followers, are should be proclaiming the word to. These are the people who, who, who don't know about Jesus, people who've never even heard about Jesus. You know, folks, we have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. It's very, very possible that in our lifetimes, even as short even as short as, as mine may be, in our lifetimes, we have the opportunity to reach every living person on this planet. Between, between the media and the ease of travel and, and, and digital communications, we have, we have an opportunity the world has never seen before to reach the entire planet for Jesus Christ. And what an opportunity because the Bible says that he won't return until everyone has, has heard the word. What an opportunity. You want to hasten his return? Proclaim the news, the good news of Jesus Christ to the circumstantially ignorant. What an opportunity that gives us. So we've looked at the event. We've looked at the people who are there. What does this mean for us? What does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? It means that we have a choice. Each and every one of us has a choice. The choice, the question is, is he your Messiah or not? Is he your Messiah or not? You see, we need to make a decision, and we need to make a decision today. Today is the triumphal entry. Today Jesus is proclaiming to, to you and to me, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am what people have been saying that I am. You can no longer deny I am who I say I am. Today is the day to make a choice. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You see, we can't choose. Many people believe that, that well, there's time. There's time. I can, I, can, I can take a little more time, check this out some more. Um, there's, there, there, there's no great pressure for me to make a decision right now. Oh, but there is. Oh, but there is. The Bible says every knee will bow every tongue will confess and that's true but don't mistake don't make the mistake of thinking that when that time comes when every knee bows and when every tongue confesses that there'll still be time because there isn't there isn't the bible also says it is by grace you have been saved through faith and what is faith Faith is believing in what we, we do not see. So when Christ is standing before us, when he returns in his glory, there's no time. There's no place for faith in that. What faith is there in what we can see? Today is the day of salvation. Matthew 25 talks about the parable of the ten virgins. Let me read this to you. 
At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten, this is Jesus speaking, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. When the day comes, when the hour comes, don't be on the outside of the door. Be on the inside. Be there. Be there. So we have, we have a choice to make, and, we, and the choice is pressing us. It's a choice that we need to make, and we need to make it now. And the choice is this. It's between the prince of this world, the oppressor, which the Bible describes in Revelation in this way. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb, Revelations 13. Or we can choose the Savior. He will return. He will return again. There's no question. There's no doubt he will return again. But this time he won't be on a donkey. The Bible says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. So as, as, as followers of Jesus, are we among that group of followers? If you are among that group of followers, there are three things that you need to do. Number one, believe Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is who he claimed to be. Number two, serve him as king, the king, the king that he is, the king of heaven and the king of earth. And number three, proclaim his praises. Proclaim his praises to everyone you meet, to everywhere you go. Spread the word of God around the world. Proclaim his praises. Hallelujah. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Will you choose to be a follower? Will you make that choice today? Today is the day of salvation. If you've not made that choice, I, I entreat you today to say, I want to be a follower. I want to be on the right side of the door. I want to be in the army of white horses. I want to be a victor with Jesus. You can do that today by, by praying a simple prayer. And it goes something like this. So, Father, I don't, I don't understand it all. Sometimes I think it's just too much for me to know, but I do know this. I know I want to be on the right side of the door. I know I want to be among the army of white horses. So, Father, I proclaim to you today that as much as I know how, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I believe that he died on a cross, on a bloody cross. The perfect lamb sacrificed for me. Father, forgive me for the sins that I've committed. Lord, help me to be the best follower of Christ that I can be. Thank you for what he's done for me on the cross. And thank you for this day my day of salvation. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.